Vision is not just to be done as an idea, but it's to be done as a resolution of a situation in your life. And so I think we've become, though, very familiar with decisions, and we've really equated them with ideas. Let me give you a funny example. Have you noticed that some of the ladies nowadays are getting highlights in their hair that are red, blue, green, purple, all those different crazy colors in their hair? So if if a lady were to say, well, I think I'm going to the beauty shop, and I'm going to get red highlights in my hair. And then about two hours later, she'll say, well... I think I'll get green highlights in my hair because I saw someone in a magazine who looked really cool. And then that night at dinner, she'll say to her husband and her children, well, I think I'm going to get blue highlights in my hair because blue is really pretty and it's my favorite color. Well, has she made a decision? She has ideas and she's thinking about it, but no decision is made. When is that decision made? When she commits to it in the chair and she says to her beautician, I'll take purple, please. <laughs> you see, we, we think about things and we say, well, I think, I'll, um, I think I'll quit smoking or I think I will lose weight or I think I will come to church every Sunday or I think I will do this. And we assume that those are decisions. Those are not decisions. Those are ideas. And then your decision is, when you get in the car, crank it up, and head down 19 to this church on Sunday morning, then you've made a decision. A decision involves commitment. And like I said, the other word for decision is resolve. I want to share with you uh, a personal example this morning because I was really bad at making decisions. Anyone in the house with me? I was really bad at it. But I grew up in a household that had very little structure. Uh, we didn't make decisions. We lived under the circumstances, and whatever happened then, we made a decision out of necessity. There was no structure in my household. I can remember waking up in the morning to the sound of the school bus coming up the hill that I was supposed to catch and go to school that day. We only had one clock that I remember ever in my household. We weren't scheduled at all. I remember hearing the school bus making its way up that final hill before it got to my bus stop and thinking, i got to get up. i got to get ready or I'm going to miss the bus. I'd roll out of bed, throw on clothes, slip my shoes on, grab my bucks, and run to the bus stop. And I'd be the last kid on the bus. (laughs) Thankfully, there was this guy who thought I was cute, and he had saved me a seat on the front row. (laughs) Um, So did I eat breakfast? No. Did I brush my teeth? Probably not. Uh, You know, there was just so little structure in my life. And I didn't know how to make decisions. I I just, you know, I didn't know how to make decisions. If I did something wrong, I got punished for it. But most of the time, I didn't even realize I was doing anything wrong because I didn't understand the decision-making process. And that was my family. Now, Larry's family was quite different. The clock went off at 6.30 every morning. If you didn't get up, Dad and Nunley would come in and flip the lights on and say, get out of bed. There's a full breakfast on the table, and everybody got dressed, and everybody had breakfast, and then everybody went to work happily. (laughs) How many of you know they weren't happy either? (laughs) But uh, Larry's family was very, very structured. I remember marrying into the family and thinking, how am I going to do this? I mean, they were so perfect. And when we went to visit at their house, 
Um, you never went to bed until the floors were swept and mopped, until the dishes were done and dried and put away, and until the laundry was done and folded or ironed, and everything was ready for the next day. And I thought, how in the world am I ever going to do this? Because remember, I'm the one that heard the bus and rolled out of the bed. (laughs) I did not, I mean, I guess we mopped our floors when they couldn't take it anymore, you know. (laughs) When the floors just said, help me, help me. Um, We just didn't have that kind of structure. And then I was marrying into this structure, and I thought, I can. And I thought, I can do this. I'm smart. I can do this. I can learn how to do this. And I was a miserable failure. It seems like every time I tried to be a nunly and to be perfect, I couldn't make it. I couldn't do it. And I would try so hard. I remember one time when we moved into our very first house, uh, we spent day and night getting it ready, getting everything perfect because mom and dad were coming. And I thought, I have done it. I have arrived. My in-laws are coming, and they're going to be so proud of me because everything is perfect. Everything. I didn't go to bed the day before they came until everything was perfect. Well, the next day, I walked into the kitchen, and my mother-in-law was scrubbing the bottom of my pots. I didn't even know pots were supposed to be scrubbed on the bottom. I just thought you washed out the inside, you know, and then dried them and put them away. <laughs> and so, see, I was, I was just tried so hard to make a decision, a resolve, um, to to learn how to be a homemaker, and I didn't know how to do it. Well, the thing that changed my life was this, and I share this crazy story because of this here, this example right here. I had a friend in church, and she was several years older than me. Her children were a little bit older than me. And I went to her house one day, and she opened the door, and it was someone I had never seen before. She had on no makeup, and her hair was back in a do-rag, and she said, Hello? And I said, I just came to drop this off. (laughs) And I wanted to say, are you my friend? (laughs) And she said, I would invite you in, but today's Monday and it's my cleaning day. And I said, you clean on Monday? And she says, I clean every Monday. She said, God has given me the gift of administration. And as I organize my life, I clean on Monday so that I will be available for his kingdom and what he wants me to do the rest of the week. And I thought, wow, you mean God cares about decisions and organization and administration? I mean, somehow in all my life, I never knew there was a gift of administration. I never knew that. And so I thought, this is the answer to my problem. This is how I can somehow go from how I grew up to what I married into and actually be the person that God wants me to be. So being the simple person that I am, I went to the Lord and I said, Lord, If you give the gift of administration to my friend, you can give it to me too. I'll take it. I want to know how to do this. So the Lord in his graciousness said, I was just waiting for you to ask. (laughs) How many of you know that's the way the Lord is? Whatever we need, he's just waiting for us to ask. And then he moves heaven and earth to make sure that we get that answer. And so uh, God did begin to give me the gift of administration, or at least I became open to hear his leading in areas where I needed to administrate things. And so um, the lesson that I learned with this is that resolve and decisions are supernatural. 
Resolve and decisions are supernatural. If you do it on your own, then you are responsible for the results. But if you do it supernaturally, then you get God results. And God is so gracious and so faithful. So that was a total change in my life. I no longer had to be the household I grew up in or the household I married into. I could be me and the Lord working in tandem as partners to be all that he called me to be. And so it was, it was such a, an amazing relief. So this is a write-down for you today. Decisions are supernatural. Decisions are supernatural. So um, I want to share some things with you today. I want to share with you four keys to a vibrant ministry life and family. And then after those four keys, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture. We actually see those four keys working in the life of Jesus. And uh, so is that good? Sound like a good plan today? Great. So four keys to a vibrant ministry life and family. I posted late last night on Facebook, and if you read it, it says, Four Keys to a Vibrate Ministry, Life, and Family. Oh, Lord, you know. And then by the time... Then by the time... um, By the time I discovered it, it had already been shared four times. And I was like, okay, maybe no one will notice, right? Except I just told all of y'all. Uh, So the first key to a vibrant ministry life and family is resolve. Um, You know the little carpet cleaner? What's it called? Resolve. Because there's a spot on your carpet, and you take the carpet cleaner, and you spray it on there, and you rub it off, and you've resolved the issue. You've made a solution for whatever the problem was. So the first key is to resolve or to make a decision, a supernatural decision, Not an idea, but a supernatural decision led by the Lord. The second state, um, the second key is motion. Uh, You can't steer a parked car and neither can God. The other thing we call motion is faith. Faith is where you take that resolve and that idea that God has given you and you act on it in faith. You actually make forward motion. You make Uh, advances and forward motion with what God has shown you to do. The third one is adjustment. And you've got the fourth one too because I'm not very good with a clicker. Um, But the third one is adjustment. Dr. Travis Worthman is here today and uh, he is a chiropractor and he knows about adjustment. If you go see him, his practice is called adjusting people and what he does is he manipulates muscles and bones and joints and makes them straight uh he he takes that which is crooked and straightens it up so that we can stand up straight and walk easy and it's an amazing thing it's an amazing practice and in our life in our family in our ministry there have to be adjustments as you walk in this world you sometimes get a little crooked And so you have to have adjustments. And that is one thing that you have to do in order to have a vibrant ministry, life, and family is be willing to have adjustments made in what you're doing. And then the fourth key uh, to a vibrant ministry, life, and family is focus. Um, Now, I can look straight ahead and see the people that are in the center section. My peripheral vision also tells me there are people on my left and people on my right. But focus is when you look straight ahead and your heart and your mind and everything is centered on what's in the middle. 
I love Psalms 27, 4. You probably know it, but I just want to share it. It's David's heart concerning focus. It says, One thing I have desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. Now, David was a busy man. He was the king of a nation. He had a lot to do and places to go, but he said, My focus, the one thing I desire, is to dwell in the house of the Lord, uh, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple, to be in his presence, as we were singing about this morning. So let's look at these a little bit closer. Is that okay? Resolve. What does God want me to do? What do I want from life? What do I want from family? What is really important? Those are decisions that you have to make in your life that you have to resolve in order to begin to move forward. And those are important questions and important decisions to make. What do I want out of life? You know, um, if I might, I didn't ask her permission, so I ask her forgiveness after I do this. But Cynthia has just made a resolve that she wants to be a full-time minister in the kingdom of God. Now, she's a very intelligent young woman, an engineer by training. Um, Just she could do so many things in life, and many things in life that would pay a lot more than being an administrative pastor at a local church. But she has made a decision. She has made a resolve. And God's going to honor that, and God's going to honor and bless this church because of that. So what does God want me to do? Not what am I qualified to do, not what I, my mama told me to do or my daddy told me to do, but what does God want me to do? Remember I said in the very beginning that decisions are supernatural, and they should be. You shouldn't be making decisions based on what you think is right or what you think is good, but invite the Holy Spirit to give you a resolve or a decision that pleases Him and that blesses you as you walk through the kingdom of God. What do I want from life? What do I want from my family? What is really important? The reason decisions are so important in your life is because if you don't decide for yourself where you're going and what you're doing, someone else will. If you leave that vacuum in your life and there's no decision made, someone will come in and fill that vacuum and make that decision for you. Um, There are times in my life that I go back and look and say, because of my lack of making a decision, I'm where I am now because the vacuum was there and someone came in and filled it for me. You shouldn't live someone else's dream. You should live your dream. You should live your God-given dream. Amen? So motion, how do I move forward? What is the process? And how do I involve others in the process? Um, I think this is really important. Again, you could liken motion to faith, walking in faith, moving forward. Um, But there's a process to that sometimes. You can't have a decision that I'm going to be a doctor. I tell young people this. You can't decide that you're going to be a doctor and make C's in high school. You have to get with the process, and the process is A, students, community service, and B, strong in your endurance level because that's what doctors have to do. So what is the process? And this this is another area where our decisions sometimes aren't fulfilled because how do I involve others in the process? You know, God intended for you to have friends, family, uh, ministry partners, and good, just good 
uh, counsel in how to move forward in a process that he's given you. So don't think you have to do everything on your own. Once your decision is made, then bring in people who can help you get to where you're going in that decision. The third one is adjustment, and we talked about that. And this is probably the hardest thing. What do I need to eliminate in my ministry, in my life, and in my family? Uh, Once you make a decision to do one thing, then you have to eliminate other things in order to accomplish that. Because you can only do so much, and there's so many things you can accomplish in 24 hours. And so you have to eliminate things in order to get everything lined up and so that you can walk forward in the presence of the Lord, fulfilling what he's called you to fulfill. You know, Pastor Jamie and I spend a lot of time, we may have staff meeting every week, and we talk about where we're going, what we're going to do. We talk about the process. We we pray so that we've heard from God, and then we move forward in movement, and we talk about the process. And then we have to look at what do we need to eliminate. You know, churches get in trouble when they keep adding programs. Then you have a program-driven church and not a spirit-driven church. And so in the last several years, we've eliminated some golden calves here at VFC. I won't mention what they are because I hope you've forgotten that they're gone. If you have, then that's great. We've done a good job. But you've had to eliminate things because you can't do everything. You have to set aside that quality time to do what God has called you to do that reinforces and it brings to pass the decision that he has supernaturally given. And then finally, focus. What do I need to focus on in my ministry? Um, Scattered ministries go nowhere. Scattered ministries go nowhere. What do I need to focus on in my life and in my family? It's the same thing. If you don't focus on things in your life, then you'll just end up muddling through life until it's time to go be with the Lord. And that's okay. He loves you, and he'll open his arms, and he'll say, Hey, come on in if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life. But when I stand before the Lord, I want him to look at me and say, Well done, good and faithful servant. And I can't hope that I get there just by muddling through life, I've got to make quality decisions. I've got to set in motion. I've got to adjust my life so that I'm focused on what he wants me to do so that when I get before him, I can say to him, I did to the best of my ability, Lord, everything that you called me to do. Amen? So, I told you I wanted to give you a a scripture to go along with this. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter chapter 6. Uh, We're going to read some scripture. Um, This is a miracle of Jesus. It's one that you're familiar with. But I'd like for you to read it today um, using the ideas that I've just given you about um, adjustment, focus, motion, and resolve. Because you see in Jesus' life, and how many of you know he was really, really successful. And if I counsel you or talk to you, I always take you back to how Jesus did it. Because he is our life example. There's no better. There's no better than the way Jesus did it. And so we want to read this scripture. It's Mark 6, 30 through 44. And see if you can spot with me the four things that we've talked about. Beginning with verse 30. And then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. 
And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest for a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. And so they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. Now, they've been out in ministry, and they certainly deserved time to rest and recuperate, right? And this is Jesus' decision. Let's go away. Let's give you time to rest and recuperate. Okay? Verse 33, but the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him, and read therefore on foot from all the cities. And they arrived before them and came together to him. So in other words, people who wanted a touch from Jesus saw he and the disciples get in the boat, and they took off running. If they were crossing the Sea of Galilee, we'll just assume that they were. It's eight miles. And by the time in the boat they crossed the Sea of Galilee, some of them on foot had already run to the other side to meet Jesus. What a passion that is. Oh, that we would be so hungry for the Lord the way these people were. That we would run to just be into his presence. But that's another message, right? Right. Okay. Stay on target, Anne. Verse 34, and Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep having no shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. So he made a decision. And when the day was far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and already the hour is late. So Jesus was going to rest, right? And then the supernatural power of God came on him, and compassion is a supernatural power of God. And the supernatural power of God came on him, and he saw all the people who were like sheep without a shepherd. And his heart was so touched, and his heart was so moved. You know, people talk about emotionalism and faith, and um, I think there's a place for that. I think there's a place for you to feel the heart of God. And I think there's a time and a place for you to be moved with compassion so that you do way beyond what you could do in the natural and you do things God's way. And so this happened. This is at that point where Jesus resolved. He made a decision. I'm not going to go into the wilderness with my friends and cook fish and sit by the lake and have a good time. I'm going to go meet the needs of these people. So he made a decision that he would do that. Verse 35, then the day was now far spent. His disciples came to him and he said, this is a deserted place and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread for have nothing to eat. So this is the second resolve. Remember the disciples have made a decision. The decision is we need to take care of these people. We need to send them home. It's already late. They're hungry. Uh, Let's end this. That was the disciples' decisions. And then Jesus made a secondary decision, again, one that flowed supernaturally out of the love and compassion that brought about his first decision, which was to minister to them. And he says um, in verse 37, But he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go by and... Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? In other words, how do you want us to do this? How are we going to do this if you want us to do this? In verse 38, Jesus begins to set in motion his decision to feed all these people. Wow, what a decision. Is that supernatural? 
Yes, can you see the difference between the disciples' desire, which was natural, and Jesus' desire, which was supernatural? So he said to them, and this is where he begins motion in faith, in verse 38, and he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And they went in, they found out, and they said, five and two fish. And then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and fifties. Now, Jesus set it in motion by using his faith and by saying, what do we have here? And he had five loaves and two fish. And then he made the adjustment that was necessary. You know, I often read that, and actually until I put this teaching together, I just really didn't get it. Why did Jesus make people sit down? I mean, why did he do that? Why did he adjust the situation? Why did he have them sit in companies of 50 or 100? Well, logically, you couldn't tell if someone had been served or not if they were still wandering around next to someone who hadn't served. And so God is a God of order. He is a God of order. Don't let anyone ever get on to you for ordering things, you know, setting things in order. It's a good thing. And your ministry and your family will thrive if you have order in your life. And so Jesus made the adjustment. He's made the decision, we're going to feed them. And then he's made, set in motion, what do you have? And then he's made the adjustment of, okay, have all of them sit down so that we can see if this group has been fed or if this group has been fed or if this group has been fed. And so there was order in, in Jesus' forward motion. And then he commanded them to make them all sit in groups on the green grass, and they sat down in ranks of a hundred and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, now this is where he focused. He looked up to heaven, blessed, and broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. And they all ate and were filled, and they took up twelve baskets full of fragments and fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men, not counting the children and the women that were in the congregation that day. And so the focus was when Jesus he made the decision, he started the forward motion, um, he made the adjustments in getting the crowd to where it could be cared for and managed, and then he focused. And in your decisions, in your supernatural decisions, you always focus on the Lord. He is the source. He is the life source. He is the supernatural source of everything that you move forward in. And he took it and he looked up to the Father. Now, how many of you know when I'm looking up, I'm not focusing on anything other than the ceiling? I'm not looking to my left, to my right, or even to the front. And Jesus focused. And he focused. And he blessed it. And it multiplied. And they fed all those people. Now, I chose this scripture on purpose. Because it's a great example of what I just taught you about the four keys. But I chose it on purpose, too, because it and the resurrection are the only two miracles that are recorded in all four Gospels. This scripture is so important. Um, I could take this scripture and preach every day for a month on the layers of wisdom and, and what happened here on this particular day. We could talk about obedience. We could talk about passion. We could talk about so many different things. And I love this scripture because it is the epitome of the way Jesus ministered. 
It is the epitome of the way he made decisions, how he moved forward, how he made adjustments, and how he focused on what God wanted him to do. And the resurrection and the feeding of the 5,000 are the only two miracles found in all of the scriptures. Um, I'll give you the other references. I have two up here. I have Matthew 14, 13 through 21. Um, the other two are Luke 9, 10 through 17, and John 6, beginning with verse 14. And I think that's really, really important. So my question to you today is, and I did this in honor of Jamie because he likes to end the messages with questions. So how, let me read it from up here. So what have you learned today? What have I learned today that I can take away and use to grow in making decisions? What have you learned today that you can take away and use to grow in making decisions? Hopefully you've learned that decisions are supernatural. No one can teach you either method, how to be successful. God supernaturally comes in and anoints us to make godly decisions that gets us in the place where he wants us in the kingdom of God. Our families, your families, if you're struggling with your families, you need some supernatural decisions. If you're struggling with your life and your life addictions or whatever, you need some supernatural decisions. God has all the answers. All he's waiting for is us to draw near to him and ask him. And then he gives us those decisions. I would not want to close a message ever without saying to you, have you made the most important decision that you'll ever make? I can't talk you into it. I won't talk you into it. But it's a supernatural decision between you and the Lord. And that is the decision. Have I asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life? Have I asked him to come into my heart? Have I asked him to forgive me of everything that I've ever done wrong? Have I asked him to be the Lord of my life and everything? And am I a candidate for his leadership in my decisions in my life? If you can say yes to that and you know without a shadow of a doubt that if you died today you would step into eternity face to face with your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, then that's great. But if you can't do that, then today's the day to make a supernatural decision to be a supernatural child of God. Amen. I'll be available as we close the service out. Come see me and I'll pray with you and we'll make sure that you know that you know that you know that you don't have an idea of salvation, but that you know that you know that you know that you are born again. Our altar ministry team, if you'll come forward, I'm going to ask them to stand over here. And uh, they'll pray with you and they'll agree with you. If there are decisions that you need to make and you need someone to agree with you that the supernatural power of God will be available for you for that decision, then they're here to pray with you with that and make sure that you have the help that you need. Would you stand to your feet?